I know we've been married a long time, Meredith, but I have something shocking that I have to tell you. I'm sorry, but I have a mistress. The sea? <laughs> okay, I was, I was kind of wondering where you're going with this. <laughs> uh, I couldn't help but represent my favorite crazy line in this crazy movie. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Gritty Reboot, live from the Proteo here in Texas. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And today we are presenting the adventures of one Poseidon and his mighty cruise ship that loves to cruise the oceans upside down. So. I wouldn't say it loved. Well, to I mean, it's, it's done down. at least three times a week and count. I mean. Unless it loves killing a bunch of people. I think it does love killing a bunch of people. I think that's what the Poseidon ship gets off on. Because we have... There, there's the two Poseidon reboots. There's only one curse. What? The Poseidon should have been a curse. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. Just like Ghost so. Ship. Just like Ghost Ship. Yeah, that's what it needs. A little touch of Ghost Ship. Yeah, I needed some Ghost Ship. <laughs> so as you might have guessed today, we are going to be covering the 1972 classic Poseidon adventure. Or 73? 72. 72. That's right. It came out at the end of 72, highest grossing film of 73. I think it comes out December, right? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I think I think it released the very end of the year. Because I think that's one of the things that kept confusing me in my research. I was like, everything, all the accolades are for 73, even it came out in 72. But it was released in December. Well, remember the same thing about Avatar? Like this year, that movie came out uh, in December. So, of course, all the box office records are going to be going Mostly towards 2023. And that's just how it goes with big December releases. Titanic was similar. I think the very first Avatar was that way as well. But I, I can't remember offhand. How did this movie get made? Well, this is a very different time in Hollywood. So this movie comes out in 72. So it goes into production around 1970. 1970, the big hit movie was Airport. And this sort of popularized this disaster genre f- for adults, basically. And so this movie got put into production and greenlit off the strength of that one. And off the the success of this movie, as I mentioned previously, The Poseidon Adventure would end up becoming the highest grossing movie of that year. We would get Earthquake and The Tower in Inferno, which a lot of people think is the crown uh, crowning achievement. Yeah, I was kind of wondering when where the the Towering Inferno falls in this. Those movies come after. I think Towering Inferno is 74. Because I want you to know, I mean, we're, we're at two eras touching right now. Because in 1974, the Towering Inferno is going to come out and be a big hit. In 1975, Jaws is going to drop. And then in 77, Star Wars. And that everything that we can think of, of the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering Inferno earthquake, that's dead. And we have moved into an entirely new era of blockbuster. And so this is where those two eras, this is the very tail end of basically Hollywood making blockbusters for adults. After this, most movies would be aimed at kids and trying to sell toys. Yeah. And that's one of the things, what's the legacy of, you know, what Spielberg and Lucas and those guys brought to the blockbuster and how it changed. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the reboot, how attitudes have changed towards a film of this nature and the, the kind of prestige and, and budget that it might be able to find itself in. Because th- this certainly was a, a very large budget production. Interesting. Yeah, right on target in the fourth bout. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It is exactly 50 seconds. Leslie Nielsen's the man. Hard left. It's amazing how many films The Naked Gun has ruined 
Oh, I know. You're looking for comedy in everything. I know. He's so good at comedy. He is. He is. And you can you can see in this movie why they picked him for Airplane because he had done this kind of incredibly serious dramatic performance like you irresponsible bastard like the way he delivers that line like I can't even do it justice like he does a very he does a good job delivering that line you know it's amazing the work Leslie Nielsen really puts in here. Yeah. And you forget about that. Because really, the, the connection most of us have to him as a dramatic actor, those famous movies are, obviously, this is a big one, Forbidden Planet. That's another cult movie where he is obviously not being comedic in any way. And then you would have Creepshow. You know, and obviously, we're very, very familiar with Creepshow. Yeah. So. He has one of the best. From the captain? Segments, yeah, yeah, he really and does. Creep yeah. show, yeah, his has lasted a very long time. I think people have always really enjoyed it, yeah, because he's such a dick in that, he is, and it, we're just not used to seeing it. And it works really well. And it, once again, he's not a dick here in this movie, he's a per- perfectly cast as the captain, at least I, I think that he is. We come into uh, the Poseidon Adventure, and this movie, of course, is starring. Roddy McDowell, Shelley Winters, Carol Lindsley, Red Buttons, Ernest Borgnine, and Gene Hackman, of course. So this is what you would do. You would just sort of get a lot of character actors. Your star would be Gene Hackman. I believe he's coming right off of The French Connection, where he just won an Oscar. So this is going to be his paycheck movie. But as far as I understand, that's pretty much how Gene Hackman considers this film, his paycheck movie. Uh, he regarded it as such, I do believe. I thought it was um, somebody else who said that. Oh, was about it? this movie. Yeah. I didn't write it down, I guess, but yeah, somebody else said that about this movie. Yeah, I do remember that about Hackman. There were times that he would bring that up and people would ask him about this movie and he was like, ah, it's a paycheck movie. All right, I just did that for the, the payday and he would really refuse to elaborate on it. And you can kind of tell, like, I mean, Gene Hackman's always Gene Hackman. You know, it's like pizza. It's always good, even yeah. if it's not as great. And he's just kind of yelling his way through his performance. And he Hoosiering. yells yeah, he the is, entire time. Yeah. Like Nick Cage would be like proud at the level of just like, Aah! God's not going to save you. I got to save yourself. Like he's just going nuts. I don't know why I made a Vince McMahon, but he, he's <laughs> going really insane. He's it's one of the things I, I love about the performance. And even early on, he's really that way. Cause you know, he has that scene as we have a nice, uh, kind of swaying shot back and forth as we get introduced to our protagonist of the film. We see him and he's talking to the, the father and the father's like, the meek must be protected. He's like, no, they got to do it for themselves. And that really sets the tone for the movie. Like you have to save yourself. That's entirely what Heckman's character believes. And they follow through with that pretty much all the way to the damn end of the movie. And uh, listen, I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's really good. But once again, like, like Heckman is really, really kind of phoning it in here, but that's okay. Cause you know, it's still Hackman. And he plays a, an odd priest. He does it's an odd character. Yeah. Cause I, I think he is being like, uh, like court martialed. Yeah, yeah. Basically he's being quarantined. They shipped him off to Africa because of his progressive views. Is what, yeah. what I, I believe is, is how that's supposed to be portrayed. I, I don't know what his progressive view is supposed to be. I don't know what religion was like in 1970 to really testify to that fact, but either way, whatever it is, it pissed people off and they got him. I'll tell you from all the cults that existed in the 1970s, that religion was chaotic. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. It's some weird shit, but so we have that sort of difference in the characters and, and then, you know, like, so we really get introduced to everybody. I think the movie does take its time, but never really wears out. It's welcome in any one spot. Andy's earlier scenes, correct? Right. And I think that's sort of something to be commended for a movie from this early in the 70s. A lot of these movies, 
while still expertly crafted, can very much drag. And I like the way this movie re- really builds itself up. It, 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 to me, it, it's very impressive because y- you have the time to really get to know everybody. So, you know, once the shit hits the fan, you have enough background on everybody to start like sort of caring about who lives and who dies. Yeah. And they're kind of wacky characters. Like you have Ernest Borgnine. And Linda. Yeah. And I, I love that they, there's this character who is a, a former sex worker. Yeah. And that's a big part of the plot. I, I love when she's sick and they ask the doctor, what's the matter with her? And I, I know everybody's a Vince McMahon. <laughs> but they, he comes in and... They, you know, she's seasick. Obviously, that's what these things is. So we have we have a suppository for what's a suppository? And she's like, "Oh, I know," and I, and I love it's implied because she's a filthy sex worker. She puts things in her butt. Yeah, like, it just it made me laugh immensely. Like the way this movie views her as a, a sex worker. I love her character though. I, I really she do. She's great. Yeah, she she really is a good character. And this incredible notion that she's fucked so many people, there's a really good chance one of them's on this boat <laughs> in the middle of the ocean. Well, doesn't Borgnine like say that he's arrested her like eight times? Six times. I think he's something said like six that. Times. Their relationship is completely fucked up. Yeah. And for some reason, they still love each other. And you really buy that throughout the course of the movie. Oh, they he do loves care her. Each other. They he do loves very her. much care for each other. And you can you can see that in his speech at the very end when she finally bites it. Spoiler for a, a movie from 72. But yeah, you, you really feel that from those characters. And there, there's a lot that I, I really enjoy about her being a sex worker and how it's sort of portrayed in this movie. And also, I, I wanted to talk about, I think it's Red Bottom's character, Red Button's character, pardon me. I, I, I think he's obviously queer-coded, is he not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's just like, oh, I'm just The Bachelor. Like, that's clearly a wink of the audience because I'm gay. And I find it so strange, like, later in the on, he, he's so creepy with the singer. Yeah. Whose brother had just died. <laughs> like, when she's like, my, my brother died. I would have danced to his music if I had someone to dance with. Yeah. Like, just so really strange and cringy in that. But even then, like I said, you're given so much into these characters that you can have these fun little asides with them. Like there, there's all these sorts of weird little jokes in the movie or, or strange little quirks that they have. The movie did it just, it's got character. Why do you think it takes place during new year's? A holiday setting, I think always works for putting people in danger because it's the time when you think you're safe. I guess so. You know, like when you're at Christmas, you're at home with family, you think you're safe. You know, if you're not out on the roads on New Year's Eve, you're with friends, you're having some drinks, you're watching the ball drop, you know, that's a safe place. And I think getting bombarded in the middle of a party is, you know, a sort of a terrifying thing because there's certain situations where you could be ready for that. But like to know that I might be in a tuxedo and you in just a, a, the fabric of an evening gown to try to fight for our lives is it, something that hinders you immediately, right? Yeah. You're automatically put into a vulnerable position. You're put there for a number of reasons. One, it's not great attire. Two, Gene Hackman's going to order you to take your clothes off so you can climb the ladder. Like, he's just nutty about, like, you got to take off your dress. He makes everybody do it, except Shelly Winter, which I like. He's like, no, 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 you keep your clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> not you, Tubby. <laughs> and she's, like, the fat shaming in this movie. The fat shaming is so bad. I, I know that had to please you all, the fat shaming in this no. movie. No. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So... Like, Shelly Winter is straight up self-loathing about, like, how fat she is. By the way, Shelly 
she literally gained 35 yeah, pounds for this yeah, part. Absolutely. Yeah, she gained weight for this role. And she was never the same afterwards. No, no. This role was a physical toll on her. I want to remind everybody that, you know, we talk about like doing a movie like it's an easy thing. When you're on an action movie and this, make no mistake, this is an action movie. Like you're going to put your body through the ringer. And she absolutely went for it. She gained weight and had to perform an incredible scene that, that is an incredible feat of, of strength and agility and, and swimming, really. She earned an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor for that role. And, and th- thoroughly earned. She, she is the real highlight of this movie. I think if you're going to rank performances, it's her at the very top. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the big scene. Okay, before we get there, one thing we have to mention, you and I had never really seen The Beside Me. No. So this was like a fresh viewing for us. It was great. It, it really was. Yeah, it, it was amazing. It was like, awesome. I was like, dude, this is a fun-ass movie. Yeah. I did not expect it to be that way. I was like, well, there'll be some things to enjoy, but it'll probably drag. And there I am, like, when she dives in the water to go save Gene Hackman, I'm like, yeah! I'm like, get him! Like, I was I was into the fucking movie at that point. Yeah, because you get this little backstory that she's a swimmer. Uh-huh. And, and you know, that she's, she's really good. She's a champion, like Olympic swimmer. And it's like kind of ignored and tossed off. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because she's the fat chick. Down. And then she just goes in there and saves the day, saves everybody by going down there and pulling him out. The way it's done. And then like, are, are you aware of like, like how they did it? Uh-uh. So listen, I, I have, I have a little something I, I want to play. I, let, let's hear her explain in her own words to somebody we both really admire. It was a very interesting scene. See, I like Gene. This is Shelley Winters on Conan O'Brien in 1994. Every time I oh, I love Conan. He would come up and talk to me, and I figured that was kind of <laughs> So when I came to that scene, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, I thought he was trying to, you know, break my concentration, and I had to cry. But uh, probably he was just interested. But anyway, I got mad at him. So when I had to go through the, uh, whatever I went through, and he's caught under the debris, and he's got a flashlight, I, the, the man from Chacousteau said, don't worry about how long it's going to take. Just rub your nose and you're in trouble. I'll get you up through the hatch. So I took my time. I pushed some bodies out of the way, and I looked around for him. And then finally, I found him, and he looked at me like this. And finally, I picked up the debris, and I'm supposed to push him out. And, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. lifesaver, junior lifesaver. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed to get But he didn't wait for that. He just went out and went up the hatch and out. And when I got up there, he said, you you were trying to drown me. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't deny it. <laughs> you didn't have much of an excuse. No, but, but we didn't talk to each other for about 20 years. But last well, year... <laughs> okay. Last uh-huh. year, he did a play, Death of a Maiden, on Broadway. And he was so great. I had to go backstage. and Because right. and he, he's a great actor. He, uh-huh. He's a but he's a great actor. <laughs> she seems like the... No, nobody ever likes Gene Hackman, by the way. I don't know if you if you know that about him and his stories. He's a, a fan, probably one of the greatest actors who ever lived, but he's a legendary asshole. Just all these people that have a lot, like, what what a fantastic performer, but God, I hated him. Borgnine has talked about tons of things over his career, so he's gone into the details about this movie many, many times. And he had some issues with how Gene Hackman came into the set, because off the French Connection... William Friedkin directed the French and Friedkin's a fucking madman. So like the dialogue, fuck it. I'll just make it up as I go. And Hackman would go in there and do his bit. And you know, that's how he won a goddamn Oscar. So he comes on the Poseidon adventure doing that. And this is not that kind of movie mm-hmm. where you're going to do that. And they had an exchange where Hackman started to improvise and the other actors stuck to the script and it ruined the take. So they went back and 
Halfway goes over to Borgnine. Am I supposed to memorize this shit? And Borgnine's like, yeah, that's the general idea. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really get along, but he still said, well, he's a wonderful guy. You know, Borgnine's a nice person, a fantastic actor, tons of range, and an avid masturbator. Oh. Yeah, he was on an interview. That's a weird fact. He was on an interview like four or five years ago when he was 91, and it might have been longer. But he was 91 years old, and they were asking, like, what's the secret to long life? He's like, oh, I can't say it. He's like, come on, tell us. He's like, I masturbate a lot. Wow. <laughs> it's such a great clip. I should have I clipped that, but it, it's so funny. But yeah, Borgnine's a great dude. They should be. We should do a podcast all day on the greatest performances of Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. But hey, maybe one day we will. Kale's Navy. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't put that. <laughs> but sure, sure, we can talk <laughs> about that too. There's a lot of really f- fantastic uh, things in the movie. What, what stuck out to you as, I think, the biggest surprise? What was your biggest surprise watching this movie? I think the character work. Yeah. The character work in this movie is phenomenal. 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 Anyways. Yeah, that's I felt like the character work in this movie was pretty good. The strength of the screenplay. It's just something that it was surprising to me. Like I had a feeling the acting was going to be good. And there'd be some really high quality 1970s effects, which there are. Mm-hmm. There really is some fantastic 70s effects with the boat going over. Uh, both the movies we're covering actually do have great effects. That's a that's a fun thing you can you can really enjoy. This is just a disaster movie. And listen, you're getting the body count stuff. Lots of people die. There is a stunt where the man falls on a massive light. You know, in the upside down Poseidon, yeah, the yes. ballroom. That his the the guy that did that stunt. His name was Ernie Arsada Arsadi. He had never done a stunt before. Yeah, he's not a stunt man. Yeah, I know the yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. Basically, they were trying to get him to do this stunt. And he was like, oh, man, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They were like, come on, come on, just do it. And he was like, no, man, I, I don't think I'm going to do it. So they were like, okay, what if we get this dog? And we'll get this dog and we'll put him up there. And if he does a stunt, will you do it? And he was like, I don't know. We'll see. So they get this dog, and the dog does the stunt, and the dog's fine. And so they're like, "Okay, Ernie, are you ready?" He was like, "No, I, I, I just don't know." So they bring in the man's wife, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes up there. She goes up there, and she does the stunt, and she's fine. Finally, after the both the dog and his wife do the stunt, he does it. And he does it flawlessly because it's a good stunt. Yeah, it looks the, great. Yeah, it's, great. it's a good stunt. You'd like a stunt man. You would have really. He uh, loved this whole experience so much that he became a stunt man the rest of his life. Oh wow! Yeah, he made a career out of it. I, I do have a little side fact for that story as well. Gene Hackman and Borgnine weren't supposed to be on set that day, but they showed up, and so of course he looks at Gene Hackman like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "Oh, I came to watch you die." Which I'm sure did not put him at ease yeah, at all. Probably not. <laughs> we went up there white knuckle because of that. Thanks, asshole Gene Hackman is what we've Yeah, because you know that's got to be high up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I can imagine how scared he was. Yeah, that, uh, that I can understand. That makes sense to me. I get that. How do you feel about the plan, basically them crawling to the thinnest part of the hole? I think it's a good plan. You have to have some knowledge of the ship uh, that they're on, you know, Obviously, so suspension of disbelief, but sure. 
Well, the kid uh, said he was an expert, so that's good enough for me. Uh, that's what I would have done. I would have definitely tried to crawl gone towards, up, yeah. gone up. Yeah, yeah, just kept crawling up until I couldn't get any further. Now, you, like I said, you'd have to have ship's knowledge of where the it's most thin at. Yes, and that, I always do that whenever I get on a boat. I'm like, where is the hole the thinnest at? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? In case we decide to adventure ourselves. <laughs> but usually it doesn't really come up because I'm in much smaller boats. By the way, these movies did not help me want to be on a cruise ship. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they had that effect for a lot of people. You hated them before, and now you're just like, nah, man, I ain't getting capsized on this disease fest. Especially since rogue waves are a thing. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. They were previously thought to occur once every 10,000 years. A 2004 study of a satellite radar images showed they can happen as often as 100 times every decade. You think I want to be out there when a rogue wave hits? Oh, man. You're afraid of water. I'm not. Yeah. I don't want to be on the, I don't want to be on a boat. Yeah, no. A Poseidon, a Poseidon Adventure would, every now and then I look at a movie, I'm like, could I survive this tale? And I'm like, maybe I couldn't survive this movie. For two reasons. Well, the water would be the, the number one thing. I, I can't, I, I don't like water. I can't really swim. One of our characters can't swim, the singer. Mm-hmm. And Nani. No, and Nani, thank you. Nani can't swim. And does she end up drowning? No. No, she survives. She, yeah, she, she, she survives. Yeah, she survives. She survives. And I, I do enjoy that. They did have one character who, who was afraid of water because, you know, <laughs> you, you don't get on a boat thinking like, well, I need to have my, my swimming training up because you're not really expecting to get in the ocean or anything like that. I like that scene with her, Nani and uh, the guy that helps her swim. Yeah. He was basically like, I'm not leaving without you. Yeah. And she's like, come on, you're being stupid. And she, he's like, I'm not leaving without you. Like, he's not leaving. Yeah. I love that whole scene. Yeah, there's good camaraderie between those people. It has, the movie has great character work. It does. And that's, you have good character actors delivering great character work, good script, pretty well directed. I, honestly, I can't give it a higher recommendation. I was really surprised by the quality of it. I didn't think a blockbuster from the set, early 70s like this would, would really appeal to me. And this absolutely did, man. I, I loved it. This is a huge, huge recommend for me. What do you think about the set pieces? Everything about the flooding of the ballroom is really well done. Even like Gene Hackman's look of glee, like I warned you, like he, almost, mm-hmm. like, he has such a strange reaction to everything. Like I, like a guy's just waiting to yell. I told you so. As people as they're washing away. But I did like the hopelessness of them climbing the ladder and everybody clawing at each other. And it, it yeah, the, the movie feels very dream. hopeless. It really does. There's a great sense of tension that really builds as the water rises like I said, it, it, that part is really well done. And there's, as I said, some really nice underwater sequences. The Obviously, the sequence we talked about previously with Shelley Winters was really fantastic. So, I mean, the movie does have a lot to keep you interested besides Gene Hackman just yelling at things or telling God to take him, which he does. Yeah, because there's a real push and pull between uh, the people that end up being drowned in the ballroom and those that go with Gene Hackman. Yeah. So, there's it, there's a nice little... At odds there. Yeah, because you do have the, the basically the manager there tell them all to stay put. Mm-hmm. Security. Well, it's not security. Someone will come to save them, which they would, but I mean, how the hell are they going to go underwater? <laughs> the first thing I was thinking, like, who's going to come and save me? Jacques Cousteau? Yeah. Like, I, 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 like that, that didn't make any sense to me when they were just like, they want to stay. I'd have been like, yeah, I'm going to go with this Hackman guy. Sure, he keeps yelling at me, gives me <laughs> coach speeches all the time, but I'll go this way. And he's like, ah, that's good. I walk him aboard. Like, stop yelling. I said I'd go their way. Now take off your clothes. And, you know, that's all Gene Hackman wants. 
So to wrap up here, I have uh, some cool facts about the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was based on the novel by Paul Gallico. That's right. On a voyage on the Queen Mary. Yes, he was was on the Queen Mary, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. He was having breakfast. A large wave struck the ship and then sent people and furniture crashing to the other side of the ship. He was further inspired by an incident which occurred on the Queen Mary during World War II. Packed with American troops, the ship was struck by a gargantuan wave. It was calculated that the ship rolled another five inches. The ship would have capsized. Oh, damn. So he took those as basis for his book and inspiration for the movie. And such is history. Yeah. Some of the movie was actually shot on the Queen Mary. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, the all the, the, a lot of the sets and everything really do look fantastic. There was a miniature built to the ship that was 25 feet long. Oh, wow. I know, right? Yeah, you missed that level of, of miniature work. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, I've always loved miniatures and, and how they end up looking. And even today, I think they still look really striking if they're done well. I hope and, somebody kept that in a studio somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure that's probably so. There's a planet Hollywood somewhere that someone's eating a, a $24 hamburger over the the model of the Poseidon from yeah. this movie. The effects work for the time is impeccable. Really holds up. It absolutely does. I, like I said, I'm still impressed by it. Yeah. So also uh, one of the fact that the movie did have a, an Oscar win, by the way, for uh, best song. That's right. So this is the song, and I, I have to say, this is considered by Oscar aficionados. One of the weakest Oscar wins for best original song ever. And I can agree, this song sucks. Well, we think that, but back then it was the bee's knees. It went like, I think, gold. Yeah, that's that's why it got there. It was a big hit. But this song still sucks, no matter what. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like, this is not what... This is one of the weakest, like, original songs you could write in a movie. Like, it's fine, I suppose. But it's really weird this netted them an Academy Award. By the way, the movie's uh, budget was $4.7 million, box office $125 million. That's a massive, massive change in, yeah. change in profit. Talk about a box office. Yeah, right? that's huge. That really is. That's a ton of cash coming in. Yeah. I hope the actors got paid well. Oh, yeah. They absolutely did. This became a lot of their favorite movies. This became their favorite film because it made them all so much money. And on to Poseidon. the god of the sea. What better way to celebrate the birth of a new year than born on the back of the old fellow himself? Do you feel that? Something's off. So in 2006, Wolfgang Peterson delivers us Jacinda Barrett, Emmy Rossum, Richard Dreyfus, Josh Lucas, and Kurt Russell himself in Poseidon. Kurt fucking Russell. Yes. Yeah, so we get this retread. And the, the first thing I want to note about it is this is a very loose remake of the original film, but it is like that movie just in turbo mode. Mm-hmm. Now, the original film isn't, isn't incredibly long. But this movie barely clocks in over 90 minutes, and it is in a hurry to get everywhere, really, for like the first like 35 minutes of this movie. Well, that's because 25 whole minutes were cut off from this film. 
all basically that happened before the wave hits the ship. Yeah, because there's no buildup to the wave or anything like that. Like the guy just sort of sees it. It's coming. And like two minutes later, they are knocked over by not even that long. Yeah, it doesn't happen. It doesn't take long. Yeah, it's very surprising because the original film does take the time to build up. Hey, we, we heard about an earthquake underwater. I could see something out there. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. And then when they finally check it out, they realize what it is. It, you see it and then you see the horror of it. This movie is just kind of coming at you. Yeah. And it, it's a different approach. So I mean, that's one thing, but I didn't really feel the original film dragged. So I thought that was a big detriment to this film. Scenes in- excluded include Maggie and Connor visiting the bridge where the captain and Gloria, who is Fergie. Oh, okay. I didn't even know her name. Reveal their affair. Oh, that yeah. explains a lot. That explains so much. Yeah, that explains a lot. There's a there's a part where Fergie and the captain are embracing at the end. Yeah. And we're like, why did she go over to him so lovingly? Yeah, that's what they just had this loving embrace. They're like, what the fuck did that come from? Yeah. And that's why they cut out those earlier scenes. So things like that don't make any sense. More info on Valentine and Elena's situation, which I think Valentine is the guy guy from the dinner. Mm -hmm. The, The dinner. From the kitchen? The kitchen, yeah. And the chick that stows away? Yeah, Fred Rodriguez. Yeah. From Six Feet Under. And then one scene where Valentine watches Gloria practice before her performance. So a lot was cut out of this movie. Yeah, because I, I want to say the the wave minutes. hits at like the 15 minute mark. And that's pretty early. I mean, that, that pretty much ends your first act. And that that's a pretty quick, <laughs> quick first act. Mayhem starts 16 minutes in. 16 minutes. So that's pretty close there. Basically because of that, you don't have as much time with, with these characters. And sadly... For a retread, this script is not as good as what we got in the original film. Uh, there are some changes made, like they're not trying to cut through the hole anymore, but they're still trying to move up. The film is is basically the same. You know, th- this movie got made in, in 2006. You know, remakes were all the rage. And so they basically decided to, to put this film together to cash in on the already existing IP of The Poseidon Adventure, which wasn't incredibly well known to audiences in 2006 anymore. The movie really wasn't running on cable all the time. You could still find it here and there, but I think uh, maybe a younger generation could have appreciated a bit more. I think had this come out maybe late 90s, I think that generation had seen The Poseidon Adventure a lot on TV, and it had just kind of faded out by by the time this movie really comes out. And I don't think marketing was really fantastic, because I pretty much saw movies almost every week at this point, and I still somehow didn't see this movie. I just avoided it, you know, because I... I didn't see it either. This yeah, is my first time. Yeah, this is our first time watching any any of these films. And I, I love Kurt Russell. I didn't know he was in it till he walked into the scene yeah. as I was watching this film. So it lets you know how marketing was. I knew Kevin Dillon was in this movie for some reason, but I didn't know that. And I knew Fergie was. And I think Kurt Russell's miscast. Yeah, yeah. He's basically... He, he should be the leader. Yeah, he should. Josh John Lucas Luke, yeah. is. And he's fine he's all right yeah i mean he doesn't suck or anything like that he's not But kurt russell's the action guy yeah he's not dragging the the movie down Uh, i guess he's trying to play more the ernest borgnine role the subordinate to the hero but they don't really have enough tension to kind of make that work they have some tension but it's almost all superficial right yeah this movie isn't all bad let me just say that right out right out the bat i agree effects are fantastic even you know 15 years later i think they still look pretty good the movie had some kind of, I, I don't want to say gore, but it had some metalness to it. For a PG-13 movie, it had some real grit. 
Yeah, they tried to give you some body count, yeah, uh, some mayhem. You know, the best they could do in PG thirteen. Things are a, a little bit lifeless here and there, but for the most part, like they really are trying to give you what you would expect from a disaster movie at that time. It's not really Roland Emmerich, and Wolfgang Peterson is no slouch. I mean, he directed Das Boot, German for the boot. <laughs> he he he's a really fantastic director. I, I think he made one of our favorite movies in the Line of Fire. This doesn't go down as one of his better works, but once again, the theatrical cut is kind of a mess. So that is one thing that's a big detriment to this movie, to sort of get it to move faster. I don't really know what it could have been with the actual proper character development that was supposed to be in this movie, because it's such a rush that nobody really matters in the movie, unless you know them from previous work. What do you think about the movie's pace? It runs along pretty well till it doesn't. I think that's one big issue. This movie spends so much time running through the initial wave. And then like Emmy Rossum's boyfriend character, he gets his legs pinned underneath some of these, some stage lighting. Yes. And they spend like 10 minutes trying to figure out how to get him free. When we spent like a minute and a half on the wave, yeah. you know, two minutes on the actual capsizing. It's a strange decision of how the movie spends its time and things like that really don't make it work so well in all honesty. Put characters in peril, sure, but I, I didn't really think they were just going to leave him there to drown or anything like that. It just was a weird way for this movie to spend its time such it's in such a hurry. So uh, some things that I liked, there's still a nice sense of dread in the movie. I agree. Yeah, it builds tension. I like the scene where everyone dies, of course. That's mm. most interesting part. Yeah, that that is really well done. There, there's There's slow cracks building on the windows. And everybody starts to realize what's going to happen. Andre Broward does a fantastic job, really, with his face of him trying to think of, like, what the next solution is. And then it dawned on him, there is no solution. Mm -hmm. We're all going to drown in just a minute. And that's when that weird thing with Fergie comes and happens. But It's still a nice moment. Yeah, it still really is a nice moment, a really well-done scene. It's different from how it was done in the original movie, but it had its own, own way to play it. And I like that. You know, it's one of those things in the movie that I really did enjoy. Like I said, it does seem like there might have been a better movie here before the studio really butchered a, a lot yeah. of what it's supposed to be. Like I said, I don't think it would have been as good as the original, but this movie is largely forgotten. I also like the the ballast scene where they have to flood the ballasts. Yeah, that I think that's a really unique sequence, and I think that can be used, in a, a, used again in another better movie. But that's a really cool idea of how they were going to do this. Like I said, there is elements of what I think could be a, a very interesting and cool movie. Just they don't all come together here, but I think that's a tense sequence of them trying to fill it with water and holding their breath just so they can get to the next one. It's like you're almost exhausted with them, especially if you're one of those people who holds your breath with characters and movies. Did you see how many ballasts there were? Yeah. So were they going to go through each ballast? Yeah, that's what I kept thinking. Like, just had to do that over and over again. Like, that would just push you to your physical limit after yeah. all this. It's just, it's, it's so insane. It really does put in perspective, like what it would take to survive something like this. Like that's one of the moments this movie does really well. They both do it. Like how difficult it will be to get out of the situation. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, I wouldn't survive it. And at the end of the first movie, there's a line that I really like. Is this all that made it? You know, when just those people come out, it's like, yeah, fucker. That's, that's all we were able to save. Yeah. Like this, this was a horrible thing and no, barely anybody could survive it. Yeah. And both movies really carry that well. So that's the one thing the remake does really get right. It's not necessarily a gritty reboot. No, it's no. a reboot. It's just, it's almost like a standard issued reboot. Yeah. You know, cause I think a few years earlier they had done a, a TV movie. I think that was an NBC miniseries, a Poseidon adventure with uh, Adam Baldwin and Peter Weller. 
I saw a little bit of it. It's available, I think, for on for free on Amazon. So you you can check it out there. We didn't include it here because really we really just want to focus on the two movies and not the miniseries that nobody really talks about anymore. I think it's really interesting to see that that remake trend came for this movie and and Hollywood was just in a different spot about where disaster movies could be. Disaster movies weren't about people stuck in like a boat or a burning building or an airport or anything like that. Disaster movies were about the world ending in 2006, mm-hmm. like the day after tomorrow. So this movie just really got left behind. It, you know, the idea of a boat capsizing just was quaint and didn't really hit with anybody, much less critics. Critics didn't really like this at all. You know what Lindsay Lohan and Amy Rossum have in common? Uh, no. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan turned down the role of Jennifer Ramsey to, and she lost it to Amy Rossum. Hmm. She also lost the same role in Day After Tomorrow. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I forgot that Amy Rossum was in that too. Well, that's a good fact. I like that. It does make sense, though. Yeah. No hand on the way out. Amy Rossum was, was rising at the time, and she's done pretty well for herself, but never became like a huge star. Many of the members of the cast and crew came down with minor infections from filming in dirty water. So, so many hours of the day. So, Oh, I could imagine. They, you just wet for like, you know, eight straight hours. Yeah. Richard Dreyfuss is the one that I was thinking of when we were talking about who just did, did the movie for money. Yeah. Richard Dreyfus did the movie for money. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. He like, did it to put his kid through college. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. Like he he needed that big Hollywood money. He's got to manage his money better. He was in some of the greatest movies of all time. I he's know. Like, oh man, I should have had eighteen kids. I don't know how many kids he has. But... I don't know. Maybe he's just out there starting up Dreyfus franchises. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's no there's no Dreyfus kids in movies. So the design of the Poseidon in this movie was modeled after the Queen Mary too. That makes sense. And my last couple of facts that I have are about directors. Can you guess which directors were supposed to direct these films? David Cronenberg? No. David Lynch? No. Rob Zombie? <laughs> you're, you're doing a terrible job. Guessing. Am I doing a terrible job? Well, Joe Johnston? Was he on the list? One of the directors was Steven Spielberg. <laughs> they were going to get Spielberg to do this. He turned it down for War of the Worlds in Munich. Yeah, much much better decision. Michael Bay also turned down direct to direct the island. But, well, both both movies bombed. So yeah, lateral move. This movie had a budget of 160 million dollars. Box office made 181. I was really surprised it was that high. I I really was. I, I thought this was maybe like a hundred million dollar movie tops. But it does look good. I I think they took a big chance. As Josh Lucas is a leading man in that blew up in their face. He just didn't really have the presence to pull it off as much as I, I liked him in, in other roles. He just doesn't really have that the same sort of yelling gravitas that Gene Hackman, not many people do, but he can't even really bring anything interesting to this small underwritten part. You know, th- there's a, a scene later in the movie where everyone is trapped in this duct and they're crawling up and yeah. Russell's banging his elbow, trying to free them. And the water's rising up and his face is just Josh Lucas's face is covered. He's underwater, and the movie just does this di- day sex mocking to get them out of the situation, right? Yeah. Like, he has to, they're trying to unscrew. They get the kid to do it. Yeah, they're trying to unscrew the bolt so they can escape, and he pulls out one. His head is underwater, and then they just cut to the kid c- pulling the other screw out, and then they're all safe, and I was like, whoa, whoa, you just can't do that kind of time cut. 
when a character is like drowning underwater, that's a big deal. You just can't say, and then he got out of there dramatically. Like he had to work his way over slowly and unscrew. You try to unscrew anything from like that lower. Yeah. Do it quickly. With a Josh kid, Lucas's nonetheless. Life on the line. Maybe being held by Kurt Russell would help me. Maybe it would just help me in general. Yeah. Kurt Russell, give me a hug, please. Is there anything else that you want to say about this movie? Because, I mean, we didn't talk too much about it, but there wasn't too much to say. Yeah, yeah. It didn't add anything to... It's sort of a forgettable remake. Yeah. So it's not recommended. You know, just watch the original film. This is, like I said, forgotten to time for a reason. There's a few nice moments, but nothing to really write home about or to spend your time on. Yeah, if you haven't seen the original, do me a favor. Go rent it and watch it because it's worth it. Yeah, you will definitely enjoy, you will enjoy it. It's a fun it. movie. It's a real fun movie. Even though it came out in 72, it's still good. Yeah, there's there's not really a whole lot to talk about in the remake except for a few fun deaths. I did enjoy Kevin Dillon's like, they call me lucky for a reason, and then an engine crushes him. You know, for the first movie, I had a hard time finding a one-star review. I had to go through 700 or so reviews mm-hmm. before I found this one. This one is a one-star review. I was 15 years old when this movie first came out, and I cried my eyes out every time I saw it, which was quite a few times. Watching it on video in 2002, all I could do was laugh. The only two believable performances in the whole mess were Carol Lindley and Red Buttons. Everyone else is just plain awful. Leslie Nielsen obviously got his job on airplane because of this thankfully brief performance here. I can't decide who gave the most awful performance here, the little kid who played Robin his sister Pamela Sue Martin, or Stella Stevens. I think I have to declare them all the winners. The little kid was an unexperienced actor who was directed badly. Pamela Sue Martin had nothing to work with except the strident line readings of her little brother, and Stella Stevens was just given plain awful dialogue to speak and didn't have the talent to rise above the material. But don't let this review scare you off from seeing this movie. This is the granddaddy of modern disaster films. It spawned a whole bunch more disaster films, even worse than this, and paved the way for the blockbuster era, which has been the death knell of serious movies making in Hollywood. And if you want to know why so many studio films are unwatchable, these days, this film is a good place to start your education. Oof. He was not a fan. This movie got a 81% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.1 on IMDb. Stella Stevens just passed away, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, I think two or three days ago. Hmm. Yeah, weirdly enough. I just wanted to mention that right now for all the Stella Stevens fans listening. Sorry. My <laughs> condolences to you. Of course. So, yeah, it's a classic American movie. So, of course, Roger Ebert reviewed this motherfucker. Uh, can you, you think he liked it? Yeah. He gave it two and a half stars. He was not enamored. Wow. He's so tough. Yeah, he really was. He was the hatchet man. Roger Ebert says... Right after Airport came out, somebody suggested a low-budget remake named Carport. It would have involved six people trapped inside a runaway Volkswagen bus with a maniac at the wheel and a midget in the glove compartment with a cherry bomb. After seeing the Poseidon adventure, I think it would have worked. There's no way the formula can fail. First, you gotta have a mode of transportation. This time, it's an ocean liner. Then you gotta have a situation fraught with peril. Poseidon has that too. My god, I've never seen anything like it, the first mate gasped. A gigantic wall of water, headed directly for the ship! It hits at precisely midnight at New Year's Eve. Splish splash, they're taking a bath. Everyone is in the ballroom, neatly divided into their key ethnic groups, 
walks of life at former Oscar winners. Wow. When the ship turns over, Gene Hackman engineers an escape attempt. He takes a large Christmas tree, conveniently constructed of aluminum tubing, and turns it into a ladder so that the passengers can escape from the ceiling of the bathroom by climbing to the floor. Then the idea is to make their way up the down staircase until they get back to the ship. See, the steel in the hole back is only an inch thick. Talk about great luck. Anyway, everybody is sloshing around on the ceiling of the bathroom, but Hackman manages to get the other four Oscar winners and six other movie stars up the Christmas tree. He desperately pleads with the other passengers to follow his lead, but they refuse. Hell, I knew they would. They were only extras. It is now time for a number of obligatory things to happen. Hackman is the righteous liberal minister, has a confrontation with Ernest Borgnine, the tough cop. Then Borgnine has to reassure his wife, Stella Stevens, who plays a former prostitute, that no one on board could possibly recognize or remember her. Then Jack Albertson is Manny, and Shelley Winters is Belle. Have to say several Yiddish words and refer to Israel and their grandchildren a couple times, until we catch on they're Jewish. There's also a shy bachelor and a girl without any self-confidence. And the bachelor helps the girl to regain her confidence. And in the process, they discover themselves. You know how these things go. While all of this is taking place, Shelley Winters reveals that she was the underwater swimming champion of the Young Women's Hebrew Association, or maybe the New York Park District, several decades ago. She's put on a little weight since then, about 100 pounds, but she still wears her first place gold medal around her neck for some reason. What do you think the odds are that sooner or later, we are going to see her swimming underwater in this movie? Would you say excellent? It isn't enough for our band to fight their way through the bowels of the ship. They have to fight each other too. And it is important that they stop every now and then, especially when explosions are rocking the ship and the water is creeping higher, in order to discuss the meaning of what they are doing. These discussions usually involve a fatalist, I'm staying here, I don't care if I die, and a defender of the life force. You can do it! Just dare to take the first step! This is a wonderful formula. I love it. The Poseidon Adventure is the kind of movie you know is going to be awful, yet somehow you gotta see it, right? They ought to be honest in the ads. Cornier than airport. More cliches than Grand Hotel. Most character actors in small roles since Flight of the Phoenix. Bigger ups and downs than the elevator and hotel. See? Shelly Winter's left thigh. Here! Ernest Borgnine say, Do you mean to tell me? Thrill to Stella Stevens taking off her blouse to use as a bandage. Weep as Jack Albertson promises to give Shelly Winter's underwater swimming medal to their grandchildren in Israel. Gasp as Gene Hackman recoils from flames. Glop as Carol Lindley is covered with oil. Hold your breath as... Ebert was not a fan of this. Yeah. Yeah, he did not care for that. And he wrote a ton about it. Wow. Yeah. So right. now Poseidon. Now Poseidon. Uh, 3.9 user rating, 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.7 IMDb. Here's a one-star review. Tell me. Is Hollywood totally out of original ideas? Here we have another remake of a classic movie and falls flat in almost every department. Let me start with the classic 1972 The Poseidon Adventure. Dated. Yeah. Campy and cheesy. Maybe. Special effects? Okay for that time. But you cared about the characters. As a great Jackie Gleason once said, when you get an audience to care about the characters, you're two-thirds of the way home. In the original, we had all the star cast playing great characters that we actually cared about. The Rosens, the Rogos, Reverend Scott, Susan and Robin, etc. It was a fantastic action drama that had you feeling like you were a part of it. Wonderful. 
Now we come to the remake. Characters we don't care about, which kills the drama, the action, the comedy, the sentiment, the interest. What we're left with is one hour and 40 minutes special effect fest. It doesn't work. During the film, I took three cigarette breaks and one soda break. By the end of the movie, I wanted the ship to sink and everyone to die. So there. (laughs) Do yourself a favor, save your time, your money, and get the original 72 version when you'll see something worth watching. I give this movie a 1 out of 10 only because there wasn't a choice of zero to vote on it. This movie isn't a sinker. It's a stinker. Well, we're not as much of a hater as this guy, but we didn't enjoy the movie either. So I guess I sort of identify. Yeah. But otherwise, we we had the same idea. Yeah. Just the original film. Gushed on the original. Yeah. Listen, I I don't know if there are many fans of this movie. Above the remake, I don't know if they're out there. But if you are out there, you can let us know that... You are carrying the torch for this forgotten film and uh, hit us up at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com to email us in the most 90s way possible and let us know (laughs) that we stink or our movie opinions suck. Or you can also let us know that at uh, grittyreboot at Instagram or TikTok. And uh, you can find me at illusionist13 at Twitter as well, where I will respond to some things and occasionally post random memes that come to my mind. Meredith, what are your socials? I don't have any socials. That's right. Fuck social media. She doesn't need any. That's right. So we uh, want to say thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We are, this is a big deal for us. We're just about to close in on 5,000 downloads. Yeah. Probably tomorrow when I upload the show, probably before I upload the show, we'll hit 5,000 downloads. It's and a big achievement. Yeah. Yeah. We're in th- our 33rd episode hitting 5,000. Once again, I know for a lot of people like, oh, it's not that much, but you know, for us, it really is. And we, yeah. we really appreciate it. And we, we thank every listener. Uh, we really hope you're enjoying the show and you know, we're, we're, we're not stopping, you know, we're, we're moving on next week. I, you know, we're going to do a big Oscar special as well. I got to check when the Oscars are. So yeah. I don't it like Valentine's day and forget I about it. I thought about this earlier. Yeah. Cause we're, we're going to do our first guest star next week. So we're, um, you know, we're, we're excited. There's a lot coming forth for, for gritty reboot. Keep yourself tuned in and we're going to keep weekly episodes going up until we have something come up. But otherwise we're, uh, we're holding strong. We're starting a new season. That's right. Season two got going pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Next week, maybe we're doing a Romero movie. Who knows? Who knows? Which one could it be? You have to find out. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you later. Bye.